Connecting with our community, live from Melbourne Girls Grammar School, Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to MGGS Live on Live FM. Welcome everyone. Live from Melbourne Girls Grammar, South Yarra, Australia, you're listening to MGGS Live on Live FM. My name is Bambi and today I'm here with our special guest, Simon Starr. Hi, Simon. Hello, Bambi. <laughs> um, now, I would like to ask you a few questions about your music career, if that's okay with you. Go for it. So, to start us off, how was it that you got into the world of music? Like, what original... Oh, wait, uh, wait, can we start again? <laughs> Sorry. I'm just very... Now, Bambi, you're sounding fantastic, mate. Just yeah. you relax. You're talking about a topic you know about. You're sounding fantastic. Okay. If you trip over a word, just stop and just keep continue on, but we'll start from the start. Okay. okay? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one, off you go. Welcome everyone. Live from Melbourne Girls Grammar, South Yarra, Australia, you're listening to MGGS Live on Live FM. Today, I'm Bambi and I'm here with our special guest, Simon Starr. Welcome. Thank you, Bambi. Now, to start us off, how was it that you got into the world of music? What originally ignited your passion? Um, I, was, I was always into music. My parents, my dad in particular, was really into music mm. and so... Um, we used to listen to music every day when I was a little kid. Mm. My earliest memories involved music. And I remember seeing him on a beanbag, lying on the beanbag, listening to a record. And uh, I couldn't understand what was happening to him because I would have been about two or three. But he had the headphones on. He was sort of gyrating around <laughs> all this. Stuff. And I was really scared because I thought my father was sick or something. <laughs> but then he said, put, put him on, put him on. And then. I had the same experience. So then from there, you know, I I sort of taught myself a few instruments and I learned a bit. My first instrument was French horn, which is a great instrument. And then uh, kind of as a bit of a, well, I applied to go to music school to VCA. Mm. It's now Melbourne Conservatorium just because my brother did. I had no real expectation of getting in. I didn't think I was any good Mm. and I got in. Right, that's and lovely. I won't say the rest is history, but, you know, <laughs> I've been working full-time as a musician since then. That's lovely. Do you enjoy your work as a musician? Yeah, I mean, like all types of work, there are the goods, the, the bads, goods, yeah. the, often the uglies. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, it's rare – well, the percentage has increased dramatically of every performance being – having at least two of the three factors that are compulsory for me to do something, which are has to be amazing music, mm-hmm. they have to be great people, mm-hmm. and I have to get paid well. <laughs> and so if I have two out of those three, I'm pretty fine with it. You're so, content, you know, yeah. when I was younger, mm-hmm. I would often have none out of those three. And then as I got older and cared less about not doing things and not networking and all that sort of thing and was more interested in just – developing my art Mm. then usually it's three out of the three right and do you have a specific album or some music that you remember from your earlier days that really helps sort of drive that passion for you there there really are a lot (laughs) i mean you know really too numerous to mention but there's certain key people that Mm. are so for instance i remember um, my mum changing my nappy and playing Tapestry, the Carol King album. Lovely. And so that was an album that I associate with my mum. Then my dad always loved the Beatles, mm. Elvis. He loved Elvis, loved the Beach Boys, but he also loved Louis Armstrong and Oscar Peterson. Mm. So 
we used to, and Nina Simone as well. So we used to listen to a lot of mainly Brit pop from the 60s and close harmony roots music mm, and lovely. lots of jazz. Lots of jazz. I mean, jazz is a very lovely genre of music, I must say. Yeah. Um, now, do you remember the first piece of music you performed or wrote? Uh, well, the first piece of music I wrote was I was having these piano lessons, keyboard lessons. I really didn't like my teacher. And anyway, he, I, I wrote a piece of music in between the lessons during mm. the week mm. and I played it for him. I was really excited about it. And, it was, you know, it was, a, it was an inoffensive first go. <laughs> and I played it to him. He says, oh, that's terrible. Why are you wasting your <laughs> time with that? Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> but I did have – I won't say the last laugh because I didn't enjoy seeing him, but I went, I was playing somewhere and he was playing with his band and he was terrible. And I just thought I've moved on from that (laughs) experience. You climbed up the ladder with that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Now I've heard about some of your time that you've spent in Israel. Would you care to share some of the motivations behind traveling there? So my family is from there Mm, and, um, and I still have a lot of family there Mm. Uh, so the first time I went there, I was 12 and met a lot of the family. And then I lived there for a year when I finished high school. Mm. And then I went there for a month here and a month there. And then when I was, well, in 2009, but my wife's family is also from Israel. So we both just decided to go and live there for a year, yeah. which turned into nearly seven years. Wow. And um, and when I went there, I uh, I went there with the idea. I was sort of a bit burnt out of playing, performing music and I just wanted yeah. to compose. And I didn't quite realize the extent of how unbelievably great the music scene is there. Mm. And so kind of like in The Godfather, every time I try and get out, they drag me back in. It, like I, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to really practice. And then I met this one person and then another one. They were all amazing. They were all progressively the best musician I'd ever met. That's amazing. And so I just, it was extremely inspiring. It was a type of music making I'd actually never experienced before. What was what was so different about it compared to music scenes in Australia and stuff? Um, there's a number of things. Firstly, the, just the, I mean, just purely objectively, the sheer level of virtuosity mm. is outrageous on, and most people play two to six or seven instruments wow. and everyone loves dancing and everyone loves singing and it's a very uninhibited mm. sort of culture. Middle Eastern culture tends to be pretty singy dancey. Mm. And so there's that, there's how, there's a certain immediacy to interpersonal relationships. Mm. So, you know, one story I often tell my students when I try and tell them about how you've got to be on bandstand, mm. I was doing a concert. It was at the concert hall in Tel Aviv and there was this Dutch piano player who, um, who actually came out here a few months ago and your dad saw him. And um, anyway, he was there and it was, you know, there's 2,000 people in the audience. It's a wow. it's a high-level concert. Yeah, yeah. And the drummer, who I really loved as a person, amazing player, mm. I finished playing a solo over a song. And um, during the song, it's now the saxophone solo, mm. during the song he gets up from the drum kit, walks over me, walks over to me and says, I love you, man. That was amazing. <laughs> and then he just walks back to the drum kit and keeps playing. Wow. Now, that was a bit of a turning point for me because that had never happened in Australia. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, there's the uh, – it's just – it's very um, uninhibited 
and joyous mm. and passionate mm. and uh, and sort of and also the other thing I know it's a long answer there is one other thing which is the musicians I played with mm. they they really hold the value of artistic integrity very high mm. and so you'd have some fairly robust discussions about what we were doing Re- rehearsals often involved some fairly heated arguments mm. Um, about how to play a phrase properly or even, you know, this is another example I use when I talk about this to, to students. Mm. I, I had this, I'd released a couple of albums of my own music. Yeah. And these two really well-known musicians in, in Israel, they approached me because they wanted to play my music and I was so unbelievably flattered. <laughs> oh, wow, this is going to be amazing. Anyway, get to the first rehearsal. I say, okay, we're going to start with this song. And say, no, nah, that song's terrible. We're not doing that song. Yeah. And then I said, Oh, but no, this is this is my band. Mm. I said, no, nah, this is not good enough. <laughs> and anyway, so I said, okay, so uh, what do you want to play? <laughs> and the songs they wanted to play, I when I had a good look in the mirror, they were better. Really? They were better songs, and they 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 were sort of more integrated emotionally and musically. And so I I sort of I, it was a bit of a turning point for that as well, just to really hold on to your integrity. And not to give in and not to sort of compromise with what you think is good. Because often in, in Melbourne, my experience had been if it was if it was correct, then that was good enough. Yeah. And correct is just simply not good enough. Yeah. Correct is just the baseline. That's the entry mm. level. Connected and inspiring and inspired. Yeah. That is what I'm going for. The real passion that lays within it. That's absolutely right. Well, it sounds like there's definitely a very large communal feeling to Israel. Mm-hmm. That sounds wonderful and thank you for telling me about that. But if you were just tuning in, you are listening to MGGS Live from South Yarra, Australia and this is on Live FM. And my name is Bambi and I'm here today with Simon Starr. And yeah, so continuing on from your time in Israel, what was one of the biggest things you take, like, took back to Australia with you from there? Uh, for the first time, probably six years when we got back so from 2016 to 2022 even up even up to the pandemic um i wanted to bring this joyous dynamism to to the way i played music and i also just wanted to play with people who if i could find them who had the same the same sort of desire to unite mind body and soul when playing music Uh, wasn't always easy but i so i put together a band that was initially meant to be just um, – I, I didn't want to have a party to welcome myself back yeah. to sort of reintroduce myself to the scene. So I, I told all these people I'm starting a big band, a bit of a joke. And um, it was a, a big band that was going to play sort of electronica meets mm-hmm. big band jazz meets sort of funk meets Soho, New York, mid-70s kind of party <laughs> punk. A whole concoction. A whole concoction <laughs> with spoken word, mm. improvised spoken word. And um, and it was all in Yiddish. Yeah. And uh, everyone said yes, which put me in a bit of a position because I thought, <laughs> oh, maybe we'll have 10 people in this band. Anyway, it ended up being a 26-piece band wow. for the first rehearsal and then then it turned into a 22 – it sort of settled into a 22-piece band. And with that band, you know, we played at WOMAD a couple of times. We put out a couple of albums. We toured overseas. We went, played around Australia. And that was um, – that very much had – this this uh, feeling of this vitality that I had, I had experienced when I was in Israel playing with people and uh, it had a communal feel and it also was it was both 
at the same time very experimental whilst also being, you know, very accessible. Pe- people danced to it. People laughed. They cried. They, you know, it was sort of an emotional trip, that mm-hmm. band. So I wanted to bring that sort of thing into it. That's gorgeous. Now, speaking of your band, Yid, what was it like to take inspiration from a place so special to you and be able to input that into your own creative freedom? Um, it took a while. It took a while to get the balance right. Mm. The first rehearsal was enjoyably chaotic. <laughs> the first performance was excruciatingly embarrassing. <laughs> I thought it was anyway. Because So Willie Ziger, who's Deborah Conway's part, music partner and mm. husband, mm. We, he was part of the first discussions about the band. He was part of the inspiration of it. And during that first performance, I'm – we're playing away and I say to him, is this the worst thing you've ever heard? Because I think it's the worst thing I've ever heard. And he says, I can't tell. <laughs> anyway, we then look out, we look out at the audience mm. and there's this place we were playing in mm. was absolutely jam-packed and people were going bananas. Really? And, and, and so we, I thought it was terrible. I still I stand by that, and then the, the, I'd say the first say four performances, five performances were just horrible for me, and then afterwards I thought, ah, this is how we got to do it. So mm-hmm. by the time we got to WOMAD for the first time, and then by the time we by the time we went overseas, we played in Toronto. Uh, that was a proper band, and then every mm-hmm. concert after that got progressively better. The last one we did, which was at Memo, an album launch in Memo in twenty three or twenty two, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an incredible sort of 360 experience it just engaged every part of me That's so wonderful yeah it took a lot of work there was <laughs> a lot imagine. of um trial and error yeah well what what has it been like personally for you to have that profound impact on your audiences to play music and to see people dancing and to see people enjoying it like what does that feel like for you um i've been doing it for such a long time that i sort of take it for granted mm-hmm. i don't really think about it I mean, when I, when I started performing, I was pretty terrified of the audience. Yeah. Um, and so I just used to close my eyes and do my thing mm. and hope that I got it right. <laughs> and I got to a point – so I had the very good fortune of um, of uh, marrying a wonderful person <laughs> and she gives me – partly because of his, her Israeli roots, she mm. gives me extremely robust feedback. <laughs> and so – if I want to know how a show went, or you know, she'll always tell me the the unedited version, she'll and so she gives it straight. <laughs> and so, um, so you know, when we first met, before we married, before we even we started going out, you know, she'd come to some of my gigs and and tell me straight up, you know, you're like you know, you're a block of flats up there, you're just doing absolutely <laughs> nothing, and um, and I, I don't I, like I feel you, I felt you during that song. And I didn't feel you during any of the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. And I trust her instincts completely. Yeah. So I, I worked on it a lot. Mm. And even at the age of, say, th- mid-30s, I started busking again, mm-hmm. which I'd done just as a joke when I was younger. Mm. Um, but I started busking in order to actively engage with people. Right. And, and um, yeah, so I don't really think about it anymore mm. because I don't really think about musical competence anymore because – not that I don't play anything challenging, but it's rare that I play something that I have to really concentrate yeah. for anymore in any way. But the main thing I'm working on is this emotional connection, trying to trying to be really present and to 
read the room. That's lovely. Now, I'm definitely a personal fan of some of your albums, and one of my favorite songs is Fontehelum. I hope I pronounce, pronounce that That's right. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to know what is your personal favorite album? No, a personal favorite song from the album. Well, that album is called Zets, Zets, mm. and that song is actually probably my favorite on that album too. Nice. Because I really, firstly, Hetty Ziga, who's uh, you know, you may have heard of Alma Ziga, who's a great yeah. singer. She's Deborah yeah. and Willie's daughter. Mm-hmm. There's another two daughters, Alma, uh, Hetty and Sid, and Hetty mm-hmm. sang that one. And she just, she hit it so far out of the park. I thought she just did the most amazing job. Mm-hmm. And in terms of writing that song, I put my, it was for a performance. It was commissioned for a, a thing at the National Theatre, taking existing Yiddish lyrics and putting new music to them. Mm-hmm. And I... I felt like I had I owed a lot to the ancestors to sort of not just write some garbage that was a bit of a throwaway. Mm. I wanted to write something that really honoured the text, and the text is really amazing. It's the it's Psalm number one. It's whatever. It's the yeah. one where you know, yea, as I walk in the valley of death, yeah. blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah. Um, and so, but the, it's a humanist translation. It's a mm. humanist. It was written by a radical lesbian feminist in 1920 or 1910 mm. and it's incredibly it's as as if it was written today it's the most up to date anyway so i poured a lot into the into writing that song mm-hmm. and i'm not saying it's you know the best thing ever but in terms of me i really enjoyed writing that I mean, just yeah. in terms of that album, I've got lots of favourites, you know. Yeah. I can't choose between my children. <laughs> so neither of the songs. I mean, I have some that I think are terrible, but that's well, not one of them. You can definitely hear the passion in it. That's sort of one of my favourite things about it. Um, moving on, I guess. I've heard you're a teacher at Monash University, so I'm just curious. How long have you been teaching for? So... I started teaching there, I think, in 2002, so... So the guy I do Thursday nights with at Southside, mm. Rob Burke, you know, we were on tour in Perth or something mm. with Joe Camilleri with the Black Sorrows and he said to me, I think I'm, I'm going to be starting up the, this jazz course at, mm. um, at um, Monash and me and Tony Floyd were with him and Tony Floyd's a drummer and um, he said, you know, do you guys want to teach because he was looking around for teachers. So. Yeah. We started teaching either in 2002 or 2003. That's a while back. Been, that's a while back, yes. Yeah. I am an OG teacher <laughs> there. And um, I've been teaching there ever since, aside from the seven years when I was living overseas in the mm-hmm. middle. That's amazing. Now, speaking of Rob Burke and your little jazz group, is that also in that time period, is that how you came about with the idea of having those little jazz gatherings every Thursday on the south side? Well, the original idea was to... Um, give opportunities to Monash students, mm. in particular female uh, instrumentalists, and just to give them give them more, um, yeah, more exposure. Uh, that was the initial idea. That was the first couple of years of it, um, and then it just sort of naturally transitioned into get another person aside from the two of us, mm. and then sometimes we got extras and. We had favourites then and favourite combinations and uh, and now it's just um, Rob and I and someone we really like who we feel like their energy will be great. And for instance, tomorrow night I'm not going to be there. So Rob's got another bass player who he likes. Mm. Next week I got 
the great Steve Grant on piano and I actually got Josh Abrahams, who's a sort of electronica legend, to come in and do samples and loops and weird electronica stuff but he was actually in hospital for the last week yes so i'm gonna have to get someone else but that's as in we fill we fill the slots with people who just are going to give us an interesting and fulfilling result nice and apart from filling the slots with other people and changing all those musicians out every week how else do you keep everything fresh and keep that sort of essence of the originality and jazz like to continue throughout those gigs? Yeah, okay, so that's that's a great question um, because so Rob and I, as, you know, we've been playing together for nearly 30 years. Wow. And definitely Tony Floyd, 30 years, Tony Gould, 30 years. Mm. I've been playing with these people for a long time. Yeah. So you know, it's like, you know, siblings. I know what my brother's going to say. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know, I can finish the sentence. So the challenge with improvising is to keep it extremely in the moment and also to um, at the same time sort of refresh and renew your vocab mm-hmm. out of those Thursday nights. So I've become, you know, over the years, I've been playing full-time for 30 years. I've become, or more actually, I've become good at, I listen to music during the week. Mm. I go for a walk during the week every day. I go for a swim in the sea every day. Mm. And I sort of have these uh, experiences which I turn into new stimulus to to yeah. to make the the improvisation always fresh you really channel that don't you try to yeah not um, always works um, now moving on i think lastly i would like to ask you for a bit of advice like for any starting musicians for any of our listeners for example what is one thing that you would say to them to have them carry with for their music careers um uh it's certainly there's okay so the main thing would be like the world doesn't need more generic musicians yeah the world needs artists who are going to be prepared to find a sound and find the find the confidence to portray musically mm. the way they see and experience the world mm. or the way they hear the world and i think that is just it's so important uh particularly now AI, there's so many challenges. It's hard enough being a musician. Yeah. You don't need to add to the woes by just being ordinary. Yeah. yeah. And, and that doesn't mean just to be different, you all of a sudden play, you know, you turn the guitar around the other way or <laughs> you blow through the double bass instead of playing it. It means, you know, you need a certain basic level of competency, but once you've once you've found that, you've got to develop the voice. The voice mm-hmm. is everything. That's gorgeous. Well, Thank you so much for your time here today. My name is Bambi and you have been listening to MGGS Live on Live FM. And thank you to our special guest, Simon Starr, for joining us. Thank you, Bambi. Thank you. Hot